Could you turn with me, actually first, not to Matthew chapter 8, but to Numbers chapter 5. We're going to have two short readings uh, this morning. Uh, Our main focus is going to be Matthew. We're back in Matthew's Gospel uh, now for a few weeks. Uh, But children, we're going to read from Numbers chapter 5 first, just four verses, verses 1 to 4. And I want you to listen to the two readings and see if you can tell me afterwards, before we even have our sermon, see if you can tell me what the common theme is, okay? Something comes up, some words come up in Numbers 5 that are the same in Matthew, okay? So Numbers first, Numbers 5 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who's unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Okay. I'm going to read that second verse again to give you a clue. The Lord said to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous. That's everyone who's a leper. Now come on, please, to uh, Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 on page 813. Page 813, and again, we're just going to read the first four verses of Matthew chapter 8. When he, that's Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, before we get in, children, can you recognise what came up in both passages? Brilliant. Okay, that's the theme that connects the two. We're going to see why we had both passages read a bit later. Leprosy, which is a kind of skin disease. Okay, it's a kind of disease where your skin goes uh, a bit mouldy. Um, so keep Matthew 8 open. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But let me pray. Our Father, again, we acknowledge our help is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we pray for uh, your help now. Uh, the power of your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts uh, that we might understand uh, what you are saying to us through your word. We praise you that we have this book, this living word, the Bible, uh, and pray that through it you would speak to us and bless us this morning. Amen. Uh, No one likes being excluded, do they? I, I don't know if you've been in a situation where you've just felt like an outsider or at least worried that you might be an outsider. Children get it on the first day of school. You go to school, it's a new class, you're a bit nervous. You know, will the, will the other people in my class like me? Will my teacher be nice? Or will I be left out of the games at playtime? Children, happens to grown-ups too. Uh, first day at work, we get nervous. What are the new people going to be like? 
Uh, perhaps we're going to meet our girlfriend's parents for the first time. We're a bit worried. Will they like me? Will they accept me? Will they? No one likes being an outsider. Uh, the, 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 the main character in Matthew 8 that we meet this morning is a complete outsider. Perhaps I shouldn't call him the main character. The main character is Jesus. But the man that Jesus meets is the ultimate outsider. Uh, the leper, who is so far in his life being completely cast outside his people and kept away from God, from worship, uh, and from his brothers and sisters. But before we dive in a little bit, let me just set the scene a little. We've been in Leviticus for the last few weeks. Uh, it's a while since we looked at Matthew's Gospel. Uh, so let's just get a bit of a, an idea where we are. Uh, Matthew's Gospel begins but by introducing us to Christ. Who is he? Uh, and Matthew's established really early on that, that, that Jesus is both a human king. He's descended from David. So he's going to be the, the human through whom God rules the world. But he's also more than that. So right in the first chapter, okay, the angel told Joseph to give Jesus the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jesus was never actually called Emmanuel, it wasn't like his middle name, but, but, but if you like, symbolically, that's who he was. He was God with us. And so Matthew's job, having introduced us to who he says Jesus is, is to convince us that what he says is true. And so in the early chapters, we read some of the stories about his, his birth, the wise men coming and bowing down before him, Herod trying to kill him. But, but most recently, uh, we've seen him... Sh- Showing who he is through two main ways. One is teaching, and the other, which is what we're going to look at today, is doing miraculous things. So just flip back a couple of pages to, to chapter 4 and verse 23. Uh, this is as Jesus' ministry begins. We're at the end of all the stories about his, his birth and growing up. He's been baptised, and this is, the, this is his ministry about to start. Chapter 4, verse 23. And Matthew tells us this, Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. See the two things? He teaches and proclaims, that's his words, and he heals every disease and affliction. Affliction, sorry, that's his actions. And straight after that, Jesus goes up the mountain, chapter 5, verse 1, he goes up the mountain and gives this sermon on the mount as it's known. So chapters 5 and 6 and 7 are all Jesus preaching. And we looked at that before uh, Easter. And we paused. And so as we begin again today, chapter 8, verse 1, he's just finished that sermon. He's finished the proclaiming, the teaching. And he's now coming down to act. So chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain. Well, that's the sermon of, of the Mount Mountain. And in chapters 8 and 9 we're going to see constant action. It's not that Jesus never teaches anymore. He'll come back to teach lots in the gospel. But but chapters 8 and 9, this little block that we're going to look at, are are really kind of action-packed. There are 10 miracles, which is actually half the miracles in the whole of Matthew's gospel, are shoved into this chapter. So this is the real focus. And it may well be that actually Matthew is trying to bring echoes uh, of, well, the Old Testament in uh, as well. It's a long time now, so I'm not sure this will necessarily have stuck with you from, from back before Easter. But when we started looking at Matthew's Gospel, we saw that in many ways, Jesus' life was a bit like the story of Israel and Moses with the Exodus. Uh, so when he was born, there was a king trying to kill him. 
Just like, do you remember, Pharaoh tried to kill the little Israelite boys. So he fled out into exile, just like Moses did. Uh, he came back. Uh, he he sort of was baptised in the Jordan. Okay, he went through the waters, just like Israel came through the waters of the Red Sea before they began their uh, journey into the desert. Uh, he fasted 40 days and nights and was tempted and tested, just like Israel, 40 years in the desert, were tempted and tested. He went up a mountain and, and taught God's people how they should live, just like Moses gathered God's people at a mountain and taught them how they should live. And so most people think that the Jesus, if you like, is what well, he's, he's sort of walking in the footsteps of the people of Israel. Israel in the Old Testament was called God's son. The whole people were known as God's son, but they were rebellious. And Jesus has come as a faithful son to do what Israel failed to do. And it's likely that picture com- com- continues here, that these 10 miracles, I'm sure Jesus did lots more miracles. In fact, Matthew tells us he did lots more miracles. But it's interesting, when, when Moses comes down the mountain in Exodus, and the next stage of the story begins, the next stage of the story in the Old Testament is Israel rebelling 10 times. We're not going to turn to it, but let me read you some words from Numbers. Uh, as the Israelites wander around in the desert 10 times, they disobey God, they rebel against God. So God says this to them, truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with my glory, none of the men who've seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, that's the plagues, remember the rescue plagues, and have yet have put me to the test these 10 times and not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. After Sinai, when God's people start journeying towards the land they're meant to inherit, ten times they disobey. Ten times God punishes them for being unfaithful. And God says it's because they didn't believe the wonders, the signs of the wonders he did. Most likely referring back to those ten plagues that rescued the people out of Egypt. So you see the story of the Old Testament. God's people leave the mountain where they've been taught how to live. And ten times God's son in the Old Testament rebels, disobeys shows a lack of faith. Here, 10 times, Jesus comes and instead of rebelling, obeys his father and instead of curses falling on God's people, he blesses God's people. Now, I can't prove that's what's in Matthew's mind. Okay, so if you're thinking, oh, sounds a bit, I can't, I can't prove it to you. But, but the reason I think that, that background is helpful is that alongside these chapters 8 and 9 showing us Jesus' miracles, that they have a second theme, and that is the theme of faith, of seeing Jesus at work and responding in faith. Uh, so look at chapter 8 uh, and uh, verse 10. Uh, Jesus heals a, a, a centurion servant. We'll look at this next week. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What's he amazed at? The faith of the centurion. Look on a view verses to chapter 8 and verse 26, the calming of the storm. The disciples are scared and Jesus says to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? The centurion had great faith. The disciples had little faith. Chapter 9, verse 2. The story of the paralytic. Remember when they bury through the roof and drop the paralytic down, the friends? Verse 2, Jesus says, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Chapter 9, verse 22. 
Uh, this woman reaches out. She's been bleeding for years and she reaches out and just touches Jesus. She doesn't want to disturb him. She just touches him and instantly she's healed. Chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus turns and says to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Alongside these, these miracles, these 10 miracles, we see different responses of faith. So, so what these chapters are going to be doing for us, I think, is calling us to be different to God's people in the Old Testament who saw his miracles and disobeyed, rebelled, showed a lack of faith, and instead, seeing Jesus at work and respond in faith. These are to encourage our faith. So let's dive in and look a little bit more closely. Three scenes, if you like, in the story this morning. Uh, The first uh, scene, we're back in chapter 8 and verse 1. It brings us the the ultimate outsider. Okay, the ultimate outsider. Uh, This man, as we've seen already, comes, verse 2, and he is a leper. He has this horrible skin disease. Now, we think of that and think, oh, that must be horrible. Wouldn't it be horrible to have flaky skin and be in pain? Often lepers had raspy lungs and all sorts of medical problems, and that was horrible. But actually, the the passage that we read, Numbers 5, showed us that as well, the problem was not just physical, but social and spiritual. Uh, This... this, uh, This man, because he was leprous, would have to live outside the camp, that is, away from his people. He was not allowed uh, to have a housemate. Imagine no housemate. He wasn't allowed to have a wife or or children, unless he could find another leper to marry him. He had no church, if you like. He was completely isolated because he had this horrible skin condition. And it wasn't just social, it was also spiritual. He was banned from coming to the the tabernacle or the temple, the place where God's people met to worship. If you like, he was banned from church, essentially. Uh, We sang uh, earlier, to the Lord's house they were calling, and with joy I went with them. Now at last our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Psalm 122. Well, there's none of that for the leper. He just was not allowed in because he was unclean. And so th- this, this man's problem is not just physical, not just medical. He doesn't just need a doctor. He needs someone who can, well, make him clean. Do you see, that's his request. He doesn't quite say, heal me, does he? Verse 2, what does he ask? He doesn't ask for healing. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, as you read the Gospels, uh, lepers are never healed. When lepers come to Jesus, and it happens on a number of occasions, they're never healed. That's never the word used to describe them. They're always described as being cleansed by Jesus rather than healed. In fact, later on, when Jesus sends his apostles out to do a kind of uh, a ministry like his uh, in chapter 10, he tells them this. It's chapter 10, verse 8. He says to the, the apostles, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. It's always cleansing lepers. Their problem is not illness, but uncleanliness not just meaning they're dirty but rather that they are if you like ceremonially religiously cut off from the people of God now now we must make clear that doesn't mean they're sinful okay unclean in the old testament doesn't mean sinful it's not his fault he's a leper it's a skin disease he hasn't done anything wrong but all this is a big picture God, God makes all the old testament laws we'll see this another time maybe as a picture of the gospel of spiritual reality. And uncleanliness in particular is a picture of the corruption of sin. 
Okay, it's really important we understand this. Uh, just keep a finger in Matthew, but just flick on to Mark, by, sorry, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7. That's a, a crucial passage. Actually, for helping us to understand all those Old Testament laws. It's on page 843. And listen to Jesus talking about uncleanness. Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 7. Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. That is, make him unclean. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's the things that come out of you that make you unclean. It's not about whether you eat the wrong food or drink the wrong drink or touch the wrong thing. So look down at verse 20. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That defile language is the making unclean language. It'd be helpful if they use the same word, but they haven't for whatever reason. What makes us actually unclean is our hearts. It's what comes from within. Uh, Leprosy, tragic as it is, rots you from the outside. But sin rots you from the inside out. And in some ways it's more dangerous than leprosy because you can't see it. Children, you can't see sin, can you? If your hand starts going a bit mouldy, you can see it and you can go to the doctor and you can make it better. But Jesus is saying our hearts have a problem. Our souls have a problem. And you can't see it. But... It does the same thing as leprosy did as a picture in the Old Testament. So it cuts us off from one another and it cuts us off from God. So think back to the Garden of Eden. I want children, if any of you can remember this. Do you remember when Adam and Eve take the fruit? They they take the fruit. Beforehand, what are they wearing? Do you know what they're wearing in the Garden of Eden before? What are they wearing? Nothing. And when they take the fruit and sin, what do they do? Do you know what the first thing they do? Exactly. They make some clothes for one another, okay, for, for themselves. They start just drifting away from one another. They're not comfortable with one another uh, anymore. Sin has begun to make them ashamed and just drive them apart a little bit. Now, that's what sin does to us. Okay, the, the more we trifle with sin, the more we let the corruption that comes out of our hearts rule. Actually, the more we'll be isolated from one another. Sin does drive you away from other people because we, we don't want people to know what we're actually like. So, so we sort of hide away. We, we skip church that week because we, we, you know, we're just worried that if we go to church, it'll just make us feel guilty. And so we just drift away. In fact, many of the sins that we commit are committed on our own, aren't they? Uh, C.S. Lewis has a book called The Great Divide, and it's, uh, it's his picture, kind of, of, uh, of heaven and hell, although very loosely. Uh, and in, in the, the equivalent of hell, okay, the, um, the, the people who live there, someone, someone goes and visits. Okay, it's a slightly surreal book. He goes and visits uh, on a bus. Okay, it's a bit weird, but anyway. Uh, and when he gets there, one of the things that he surprises him when he looks around is it's so big. The people live further and further and further apart. And the, the guy who's gone to visit says, well, is this just how it works? So people just put miles apart uh, and the, the, the sort of tour guide, as it were, says, no, they're constantly moving further and further away from one another because they just can't stand one another's company. And it's a picture, not of what hell's like, really. C.S. Lewis's imagination, a bit 
over the top there. But rather it's a picture of what sin does to us. It drives us from one another. And also, of course, it drives us from God. Again, think back to Eden, uh, children. What, what did Adam and Eve do when they heard God coming? Did they come out and say, Lord, we're really sorry that we've sinned? No, they didn't, did they? They hid in the bushes. When we sin, when we feel this corruption in ourselves, this uncleanliness, we hide from God too. And actually, perhaps more seriously, ultimately, the Bible tells us that if we, if we never come to Jesus for this cleansing, the good news that, that this passage is going to bring us, if we never come from cleansing, God does say that ultimately nothing unclean will ever enter heaven. In Revelation 21 pictures heaven. God says this, nothing unclean will ever enter it. Uh, this leper is the ultimate outcast, but he pictures what life would be like if we never come to Christ for cleansing. Sin is the deadliest disease, the corruption in our heart. But thankfully, the passage doesn't stop there. So after this ultimate outcast, uh, we see a faith-filled question. Uh, Verse 2, the the, the leper comes to him, kneels before him, and, and says, Lord, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In one sense, it's amazing he even approaches Jesus. He ought to have just been away, Uh, Various parts of the Old Testament tell us that the lepers had to tear their clothes and, uh, you know, had to stay away from people. But this this man approaches. He's obviously got respect for Jesus. He falls to the ground before him and calls him Lord. Now, we don't know if he knows that Jesus is God. We don't even know quite how he knows that Jesus can cure him. It it might not be that he realises that this is God in the flesh, but but he maybe has picked up this idea that Jesus is a bit like Moses. And, And Moses is one of very few people in the Old Testament who does one of these cleansing a leper type miracles. Okay, very rarely in the Old Testament does a leper get cleansed. In fact, the rabbis, the Jewish teachers, said it's as hard to raise the dead as it is to cleanse a leper. That's not in the Bible. That's just one of the things they taught at the time. But, but one of the few times that a leper is cleansed in the Old Testament is, in fact, in one of those ten rebellions I was talking about earlier, where Miriam, Moses' sister, leads a, a rebellion and God strikes her with leprosy as a punishment. And Moses prays for her and she is healed. So it's possible that this man has sort of begun to get the picture. This seems to be at least a great prophet who's teaching the way of God, who who seems to be another kind of Moses figure. So maybe he can help me. And he doesn't doubt Jesus' power. If you will, you can make me clean. But what does he doubt? There's the faith. The faith is there. You can make me clean. He knows that Jesus is able to, to cure him, to cleanse him. But he has a question about the character of Christ. Lord, if you are willing, you are able to cleanse me, but are you willing? And and it's sort of a good question. It's sort of a good question for us. Sort of good and and sort of bad. When we come to to God, I think very often we, we don't doubt his ability to forgive us. He's all powerful, he can do what he wants. We do fear, we do wonder whether he's kind enough to forgive us. What's half good about that question, it's only half good, what's half good about that uh, are you willing question is that we shouldn't presume that God should save us. It's not our right to be cleansed, forgiven of our sin, transformed. It's not God's job to save us so that if he doesn't save someone, he is guilty. Salvation is by grace alone, isn't it? God is not obliged to cleanse us from our sin. So there's a sort of half-rightness in the leper's question, if you're willing. He, he couldn't 
presume on it, demand it from Jesus, just like we can't demand salvation from God. If you start to think that God owes you salvation, owes you blessing, then you're going to drift from the gospel because the gospel says actually we're owed nothing from God. And one of the effects will be that when something in your life doesn't work out how you wanted it to, you'll start feeling bitter towards God. Why have you not treated me like this? Why, Why have you allowed this to happen in my life? Why have you not given me this blessing? Well, that's a sign that we've gone to slip into thinking that we deserve things from him. And we've forgotten how corrupt our hearts are. The fact that we have this sin in our hearts, I mean, we have no rights before him, nothing we can demand. But it's only a half good question. There's a negative side to it. And the negative side, I think, is the doubt that, that Jesus is willing. Do you ever find that? That... that that you just wonder if you've gone too far this time. Is Jesus willing to forgive me this time? I mean, I know he forgives people in general, but, but most of the people he forgives are the kind of nice people at church I see on a Sunday. He doesn't forgive people like me who've watched that on my computer screen for the hundredth time. He doesn't forgive people like me who've spoken those words to my wife for the thousandth time. We have our little... Uh, sins that we've kept in the darkness and we worry that perhaps he will not forgive perhaps he god is just this all-powerful force in the sky who's just going to cast me out into the darkness because of my wickedness and that's why we need to hear those words that jesus is emmanuel god with us everything uh, if you want to know god truly you look at christ Jesus shows us what God is really like. It's not that Jesus is the nice one and behind him is a sort of scary or powerful God. No, Jesus is God with us. So if Jesus is willing to cleanse, then God is willing to cleanse. I don't want to try and look at God some other way, find a God sort of around the back of Jesus, a different God from Jesus. No, if Jesus is willing to forgive you, to forgive your sin, to cleanse your heart, then God is willing because Jesus is God. And that's why those words... I will, verse 3, are such good news. Jesus is willing to forgive you. I don't care what it is you've done. don't care how long ago or how recent it is, says Jesus. I will forgive you if you ask. And again, see that response of faith? The faith here, being modelled by the leper, is bringing his uncleanliness to Jesus. That that is what you're called to do. You're not called to clean yourself up first and then come. Sometimes feel like that, don't we? I can't approach God uh, until I've sort of got myself back on my feet. So I've just done something awful. And I think, well, I need to do something or at least wait a period of time. And then I'll be okay to come to God in prayer. Or then I'll be all right to go to church again. I found myself, I remember a few years ago, realising that if, if, I caught, if, I, if, I, if I'd just done something I felt really, really guilty uh, and I knew I'd sinned, I wouldn't go and ask God for forgiveness straight away. I wouldn't pray. I'd feel ashamed. I'd sort of want to get away from him. But one of the things I found I would do was I'd, I'd read a Christian book, something theological. And it wasn't thought through. Okay? It wasn't a sort of plan. I just think it was subconscious. Just done something bad. Can't pray yet. Can't go to Jesus yet. Need to kind of do a few good things to earn some brownie points first. For other people, it's, well, I, I can't, I've done something awful. I, I feel convicted. I've sinned. I'll just numb myself with some TV for a while until the guilt has subsided, and then I'll be okay again. And we, No, said Jesus, come unclean, and he will forgive. Don't try and tidy yourself up. Don't cleanse yourself. You can't anyway. But come unclean, and he is willing. 
which brings us to our last, our final point there. I've got the ultimate outsider, a faithful question, and finally a compassionate cleansing. I will, verse 3, be clean, and immediately, immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus sends him to the priest. See that in verse 4? He says, go off to the temple, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift, that's the offering that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Don't say anything to anyone yet. I don't think he's saying you could never talk about it, otherwise we'd never have it in the Bible. But, but he's simply saying, look, go and straight away to the temple and offer the, the sacrifices, the offerings you have to do to, be, to have the stamp of, yes, you're now clean from the priests who will allow you back into the worship uh, of Israel. If we had time, we would have read Leviticus, which, which would show that actually it, it was eight days worth of cleansing uh, the, the leper had to bring a couple of birds. It's a very weird ceremony where one bird is killed over water and dipped in another one's blood and sprinkled on the leper. And seven days he had to wait. And on the eighth day, he brings other sacrifices. Really elaborate. But the idea here, I think it's twofold. One, Jesus is saying, look, I, I'm not coming to undo the Old Testament. Jesus honours the Old Testament. Do you ever hear people say, well, look, I, in the Old Testament, you know, God says all sorts of things that we don't believe anymore. But in the New Testament, we, we hear much nicer things. And people say, well, I'm with Jesus, not with the Old Testament. But you can't say that. Jesus always honours the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus never undoes the Old Testament or corrects it or says, well, actually, that's kind of out of date. Jesus always wants to uphold God's word. But here in particular, do you see, it's a proof at the end of verse 4. It's a proof to them that the fact that this guy has been cleansed like that with a word and a touch shows that Jesus must be someone extraordinary. His miracles are demonstrating who he is. It's a proof to the priests and therefore a proof, uh, proof sorry, to us. And how does Jesus do this? Well, not just with a word. Not just with a word. Verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I am willing, be clean. There's something very strange about that. There's something very strange about that. Ch- children, if you imagine you're really clean, okay, you've just had a shower, you've got your best dress on. Okay, maybe your bridesmaid at a wedding and your lovely white dress on. Okay, beautiful dress, done your hair, lovely, perfect. Mum and dad have got you absolutely perfect. And then, let's say hypothetically, you had a little brother. Okay, a really mucky little brother who'd just been out in the garden playing football, covered in mud, jumping around in puddles, rolling around on the grass with a dog. And he comes inside. So he is filthy dirty. I don't know if you can imagine this. And you are beautiful and clean. Okay, and then you cuddle. He comes and cuddles you. Now, when you pull apart, will he be clean because he's cuddled you? Or will you be dirty because you've cuddled him? What's going to happen? Are you going to be clean? Is he going to be clean or are you going to be dirty? What's going to happen? You're going to be filthy, aren't you? Exactly. You're going to be filthy. Because when something unclean touches something clean, it's the uncleanness that wins. It's the dirt that wins. And that was the way these rules worked. Normally, if you were unclean, or if if someone was unclean, your friend was unclean for whatever reason, uh, spiritually, not not allowed to come to the temple, and you touched them, you became unclean. But it doesn't work like that with Jesus. He touches, and it goes the other way. He makes the leper clean. Just one touch from Jesus, the God who is man, and all the, the holiness that he has, if you like, flows to this man, and he is cleansed. That is why what you need most of all, spiritually, with these corrupt hearts, what we need most of all, I should say, is is to be touched by Christ. We need 
him to reach out, to stretch out his hand and touch us and say, I am willing, be clean. But, but how can you do that? Because he's not walking around Leeds. Okay? He, he's not going to come in one by one and, and pat us on the head and just cleanse our hearts. He does it now by his spirit. And instantly we think, oh, that's not as good. It'd be much better if Jesus was here and he could actually physically touch him and just put my hand on him, shake hands. Then I, he could sort of burn away my sin but with his touch or something. Well, well no. The, the New Testament is full of pictures that, 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 that stress two things. One, that Jesus is really man. Okay, he's not just God, he's also man. He's really human like us. So he's got the human holiness that I need, the pure heart that I need. But it's also full of pictures that tells us that, that he, Jesus and his people are bound together. So at one point, it calls Jesus a vine. It's like a plant, children, you know, like a grapevine. And we're like the branches. You can't separate the branch from the plant, can you? The, 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 the plant and the branch are together. They're kind of one, and the, the life flows through them. Another point, it says Jesus is like a head, and we're like a body. Well, you can't separate a head and a body, can you? The life from the head flows to the body. But when you come to Jesus and say, cleanse me, he doesn't just sit in heaven and from a distance say, go on, then I'll forgive you. He pours his spirit into our hearts. And, and, and mysteriously, and I can't really explain it any more than this, because it is a mystery, we are bound to him, the Bible tells us. We're united to him like a head to a body or a branch to a vine. And so his life flows to us. The, the, the forgiveness for sin is instant. That's in a second. You're forgiven straight away, once and for all. The cleansing from sin, the actually sort of slowly burning away all that impurity, well, just happens very slowly in your lifetime. Sometimes the Bible calls that sanctification, making you holier. That is a slow process. We go forward and back and forward. But it happens by Jesus reaching out and touching us, if you like. By his spirit. That is the bond between you and him. And that is the great news in this passage. Jesus is not distancing himself from us. He didn't look down from heaven and think, oh, those filthy, sinful human beings. Look what they've done. Look what Sarah's done now. Look what Daniel has thought. Can you believe that Mark has done that yet again? He, he looked down from heaven and he looked down with compassion. And so he became one of us. This salvation wouldn't work unless he'd become man. But he looked down from heaven and became one of us, became a man, became a real human being so that he could put our arms around us. And actually when he embraced us in his purity, his whiteness, instead of us making him dirty, he's so pure, he makes us clean. So, so come to him dirty. Every time you're conscious of your sin again, that corruption of your heart, come to him and ask for that cleansing. And let's make sure as a church that we are a church that, that welcomes lepers, as it were. Not just literal physical lepers, of course that too. But, but those who are not clean yet. Those who are very conscious of their, their guilt, their dirt. Their, because actually, that's all of us. Until Christ returns and finally purifies us, we are all still corrupt. And so let's be a church that offers the same gracious welcome as Christ did to the leper. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that Christ is willing and therefore that you, our Heavenly Father, are willing to forgive us and that one day we will be fully cleansed. We are sorry for the corruption that remains in our hearts. We grieve it. It makes us uncomfortable. And yet so often we compromise with it. But Father, we ask uh, that by the power of the Spirit uh, that binds us to Christ, you might burn, or he might burn away the remaining impurity with us, in us and make us more and more 
into his image. Do this, we pray, for his glory. Amen.